The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome, everybody. This is Just End the Show, Episode 2. I'm Seth Wallach. I'm here with my co-hosts, Kevin Thomas and Colin. The Jets in Week 1 lost to the Carolina Panthers in Carolina, 14-19 to loss of the Sam Darnold revenge game, as I like to call it. We're going to get some early reactions from this game and some early reactions about Zach Wilson, our franchise quarterback, and how he fared in this one. Kevin, I'm going to go to you first. What were some of your takeaways from from Zach Wilson in this one? My takeaways from Wilson, I would say, were uh, relatively positive. I, I liked generally what, what I saw of him. Um, we're obviously going to get into this in the show that we saw so little of what this offense could actually be because he was getting pressured so, so much and so frequently. Um, and obviously the all the other stuff to go on with the defense, but we'll get there eventually. But in terms of Wilson, uh, his performance itself, I mean, uh, for a rookie starting in his first game, I actually liked what I saw. You know, obviously it was not a uh, perfect performance and it was not necessarily um, a great statistical performance. He definitely got helped out a little bit towards the end of the game, kind of in that garbage time range. But I enjoyed what I saw from him in terms of the ceiling. I think that there, he, he seems like he has a high ceiling to me. I liked his uh, playmaking ability. I'm nervous as hell anytime he's getting hit because obviously, like we talked about in the first episode, if he goes down this whole thing, this whole ship is going to sink and it's already sprung a few leaks, let's put it that way. But I I liked what I saw from him generally, but um, obviously you just want to be able to see him play in an offense where he can actually stand on his feet and throw the ball to somebody. Colin, I know we, we watched the game together and we did a lot of yelling at the television what are your thoughts on how Zach played in this one, his first game? I was uh, I was actually really happy with Zach. I don't think the, the stat line reflects how well he actually played. If he had a little more time uh, to throw the ball and get some receivers open, I think I think that it would have been a much a different outcome. Even the balls that were not well thrown, like I remember there was one out to the sideline. Um, I was really happy because. It, it was it was right there, just in the coverage. Like nothing he can do about it. He had probably had three a second or two to throw it. Made a good decision, and even though it was incomplete, I, I liked what I saw out of him. So it's uh, I'm I'm really happy with Zach Wilson and his progression in this game. Yeah, I mean, I I have to agree. I thought Zach played remarkably well, considering the pressure that Kevin mentioned earlier. It seemed like he was backpedaling or trying to escape to the left, to the right, forced to step up in the pocket. Rarely, I think, was Zach ever in a clean pocket to throw. And I think when he was in a clean pocket to throw, we saw the Zach Wilson that we'd all like to see, right? We saw really good accuracy. We saw the accuracy we saw in the preseason and the accuracy that was touted of Zach coming out of BYU. Uh, we had that late throw, the touchdown pass, the first touchdown pass of two to Corey Davis, where Zach kind of rolled to his right and just kind of sidearm flung it all the way down to the field corner of the end zone. That was an impressive play. That's the kind of thing we didn't see the last three seasons of Sam Darnold. So I think there was definitely some encouraging signs there. As much as, you know, I think that Zach Wilson cut kind of a weirdly impressive 
20 for 37. I think you could argue the other way that Sam Darnold almost had kind of a weak 24 for 35, right? I mean, I don't think Sam blew us away in this game. He had the long bomb to Robbie Anderson. We kind of saw that coming. It's one of the several things we called about this game last week before it even started, uh, that Robbie Anderson was definitely going to get a deep one on us because who's covering him, right? But I don't think Sam played exceptionally well in this game. I think the Jets, when they were able to get pressure, were able to rattle him a little bit. Unfortunately, that pressure was a little inconsistent. I think Sam had too much time in this game. I think Christian McCaffrey had too many touches in this game. He had 30 touches, 21 rushes, and 9 catches. He had 9 for 89. He was also the Panthers' leading receiver, in addition to the 98 yards he had on the ground. So McCaffrey did his thing today. DJ Moore caught 6 for 80, and Robbie Anderson's 57-yard touchdown was actually his only catch of the day. So they did a pretty good job containing Robbie Anderson, and at least a serviceable job on DJ Moore, but McCaffrey was an absolute problem in this game. Yeah, couldn't agree more on the point about Darnold, especially when they come, uh, you know, for the halftime, they're showing the side-by-side stats of Wilson and Darnold, you know, because obviously they're going to do that for the TV part of it. But, you know, your stats are going to look a lot more impressive when you have a guy who's wide open five yards down the field who's running it for the extra however many and it's like oh it's a 30 yard pass it's like yeah he ran the other 25 yards no i i uh couldn't agree more about that i i mean i thought that this was a sam darnold game you know it's, it's reminded it seems like he's the same guy he obviously has a tremendous weapon with McCaffrey but you know he had that he had the uh you know he lost the ball there when they were getting down toward the goal line I didn't think that uh this was a game where I walked away from it being impressed really by Carolina at all and honestly there uh I thought the Jets were able to move the ball a little bit in the second half the Panthers defense looked pretty good in the first half but I thought uh yeah I didn't I was not overly impressed by the Panthers performance in this one either yeah no to feel like the Jets were out of it, right? Like you, you knew you kind of knew they weren't going to win, but but at no point did it feel like Carolina was blowing them away. Yeah, and I've been a Sam Darnold apologist for the last three years, but Colin, you're absolutely right. I mean, this game laid it out. You watch Zach in this game, you watch Sam in this game. It's night and day. Throw the stats out the window for me, and that's not me being a homer as a Jets fan. You just watch their play. Zach Wilson is so much more dynamic. He's so much more talented. You can tell just watching the two of them compared in one game. And Seth, I feel like uh, we're, we can't be homers because we just know. We, we are the first to tell you where we suck as Jet fans. We're the first. <laughs> we got a couple losses. We have a couple losses. Is it is 10-year playoff drought? Is that bad? I don't know. <laughs> is that average? I thought that was normal. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say one of my uh, one of my reactions from week one that I think is that, uh, you know, I was watching that game and what I saw was an unbelievable rookie player who I'm really, really excited to see blossom in the NFL in the future. And that man's name is Matt Amendola. Thank you so much, Matt Amendola. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get to it at some point, but um, that guy stepping into that sp- spot when he did and uh being able to punt 60 yards in your first nfl game that's pretty impressive i'm just gonna throw that out there uh, obviously we've given wilson a lot of love i'm just throwing some towards our boy matt amandola is it too early to, for me to buy a matt amandola jersey do you think i just want to say not at all and in fact if you've got a spare mark sanchez jersey laying around you can just tape right over that sanchez <laughs> and, ju- and just sharpie in that amandola you know, the only one I've ever had is Pennington. So I, I, and, I and you know, I've I've grown in every direction since I owned that. So I don't think uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to, to to pull that off. But shout out, Matt Amendola. 
how much of Mike LaFleur's game plan do you, you think we got to see? I mean, I know we didn't see a lot of play action. We didn't see a lot of bootleg stuff. I thought they might get into some of that, some of the stuff you see that Rodgers does with the Packers, right? I mean, LaFleur comes from, he's obviously Matt LaFleur's younger brother, but he also comes from that coaching tree. So I thought we'd see a little bit of that motion stuff that those teams like to run. And it was a little um, cut and dry, I thought. Uh, the run game wasn't too effective. That's something we covered in our season preview that we didn't expect it to be. But, uh, I mean, they only ran the ball... Did 17 times? Yeah, seven, 17 times. And the lead back was Tevin Coleman with nine carries for 24 yards. Ty Johnson chipped in five for 15, and Michael Carter, the rookie, got four as well. He had six yards rushing. That's why you've got Zach Wilson throwing the ball 37 times. And even that number, you know, you'd think it'd be higher. The Jets really didn't have the ball too much in this game. They had a tough time keeping Carolina from moving the sticks. Yeah, the offense definitely picked up in the second half compared to the first half. The first half, it felt like they never had the ball and they were just running it. into. It seemed like there were a lot of plays that were... I'm actually surprised to see 17 carries because it almost felt like every possession in the first half, they were just running it into the line. Um, Yeah, I mentioned in the season preview one, too, that I didn't expect a lot, like you said, from this run game. And... uh, this was uh, pretty discouraging to see right out of the gate here. It's clearly not going to be a strength of the team, but you want to at least maybe have some ability on short yardage plays to trust these guys. It felt like the most effective plays the Jets were running early on actually were Wilson thrown to the tight ends. Uh, Croft had like a much bigger game and was a much bigger part of the game than I anticipated. But yeah, the run game was uh, very uh, disappointing. And I had relatively low expectations. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the run game—I mean, it's what we expected, right? It, it was—it was—it wasn't happening. It wasn't there. Mike Lafleur's mom probably let him out a little late, so they didn't have a little time to <laughs> get the permission slip signed. Uh, so they couldn't <laughs> practice every day as late as they wanted to. So you know, he's got to be home before dark for dinner. Uh, but I think—I uh, think that the the forte for this team is not going to be the run game, and we all, we all know that going into it. Uh, the Zach Wilson is is going to be the centerpiece of this offense, especially this year. Yeah, and if you listen to our first episode, our season preview, you might remember how optimistic I was about an up-and-coming offensive line in the NFL, and then the Jets did what they do best, and they dashed my hopes and dreams within a single week. Immediately. Yeah, this offensive line was an absolute dumpster fire in week one. I thought it was a questionable decision to begin with to start George Fant at right tackle instead of Morgan Moses. I thought that's why they brought Morgan Moses in. George Fant could not have been worse. I think there were guys running past him completely unblocked. I mean, it's not that they were getting through him. They were just getting by him. And Zach Wilson was uh, ended up on his rear end. I'm not Listen, I'm not going to put every quarterback pressure on George Font because we know there was a lot of them. Zach Wilson was absolutely running for his life in this game. But he did not fare well, and I don't think he's going to fare any better at left tackle now with Makai Becton out, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But uh, I want to fire George Fant to the fucking moon. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, the uh, the offensive line play was terrible. I agree with you. Fant was awful. They couldn't stop anybody uh, on the edge at all, it seemed like, like uh, for both sides. I have to say, uh, obviously losing Becton, we're going to talk about that, I guess, but losing Becton is a huge thing. But um, there were a couple plays where they were getting by Becton, too. I mean, it was, he wasn't infallible in this game either. But I agree with you, Fant was terrible, and uh, now he's going to be starting at left tackle. Um, this is clearly just going to be a problem that they're going to have to go through the rest of the year and I don't know how uh, I don't know how it gets any better barring some kind of move being made or something but I don't even know if that's possible the run game and the offensive line were definitely the the low points of the uh, offense in week one 
even Makai Becton, as you said, he wasn't, he wasn't doing well himself. I'm not going to make the argument that they're better without him, but I definitely, they got some holes to plug and I'm, I'm not, I'm nervous about that, especially with such a young quarterback. Like what's going to happen to Zach if he gets hit one too many times, what does the future hold for the jets? If that happens. So they got to start protecting the quarterback and sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think there were definitely times where Zach could have gotten rid of the ball. He held on to it a bit too long. I know he's trying to play hero ball, right? He's a rookie. He doesn't always understand the nuances of, you know, throwing the ball away. He's always trying to be a hero. He's always trying to make a play. And you got to respect that from the kid. But he took some absolute shots in this game. I mean, whether they're his fault or not, it's something as a quarterback we'd like to try to avoid, to Colin's point. And I think that's one of those things that that's going to come in time. He's going to figure that one out. It's, it's as you said, it's, he's a rookie quarterback. He's trying to play hero. He's not a hero right now. He's the savior and saviors take time. I want to talk about Becton injury for a minute. So when he goes down, they bring the card on the field, right? Everyone's thinking the worst. And as I understand it, this is not a season ending injury for Makai Becton. Kevin, did you do any research on this? Just before we got on, I looked it up, and it seems like out for uh, what I was reading was five five to six weeks, or maybe four to six weeks. Um, so probably six weeks, let's be honest. If it's going to be, if they're going to give us a range, just pick the highest number. But yeah, I agree in the moment. It definitely seemed like a season ender, and it doesn't seem like it will be, but still not great. What was it? A dislocated kneecap is what it ended up being at the end. I'm just right. happy. Like that's anything less than a tear at this point is is a win. So if he's out four six weeks, that's fine. I would even make an argument to give him an extra time, give him the six weeks because they're not going anywhere this year. As long as you can plug the hole for Becton and Zach Wilson can uh, not get hurt uh, and he can stay on his feet and throw it away a little bit more uh, for his progression, I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset. Is this is not this is a year to progress Zach Wilson, not a year to win. Get Mekhi Becton healthy. Get him up and running again so that uh, he can go out there and protect his quarterback. I'm high on Zach Wilson. Can you guys tell? Was that obvious? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that came across. I didn't get that from you. Honestly, I've been, I've been looking at his mom, man. That's, that's what's been getting me. He's like, <laughs> how, many, how, many, how many players do you, do you know with a mom like that? I'm sure she's a lovely lady. Listen, I, I mean, these are NFL players. I bet you if you do some research, especially the quarterbacks, you, you might find uh, a lot of them. Yeah there, yeah, there might be a few out there. I don't know. Is it Colin Cowherd who founded the term quarterback face? Was that him? Oh, I'm not sure. But I've heard that term before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. That, you know, who plays quarterback on the playground? They give the ball to the handsome kid, right? And then it's sort of like everything's downhill from there. <laughs> Yo, man. My Manning's mom, you know, Olivia Manning, hey, she ain't bad herself. You know, she's pushing, what, 70? Not by owns. She looks I'd great. Holla. I'd holler. She's great. She got a lot of work done. I like how you said specifically Eli Manning's mom. That was great. <laughs> this is a New York podcast. <laughs> the more prolific of the two Manning brothers. So uh, I know as everyone's kind of talking about the Makai Becton injury and Jets Twitter's kind of scrambling on that, one injury that kind of went under the radar in this game was LaMarcus Joyner. I think he had an elbow injury, and it turns out the Joyner's probably out for the year. This is a strange blow for a defense that's already missing Ashton Davis, and we don't need to rehash how thin they are in the secondary to begin with. Did you notice Joyner leave the game, Kev? 
I did not, and I was surprised that I, I after the game, I, I looked at the injuries, but it didn't register. And then right before we came on, you mentioned that he's out for the year, and I was pretty surprised. Yeah, they are already, of course, like you said, we, and we've already talked about, so thin in the secondary that losing anybody, losing even just a competent safety is uh, going to cause a lot of problems. And you saw... Um, a couple of times in that game, the Panthers and Sam Darnold taking advantage of the secondary and really going at the safeties and corners. And so, yeah, yet another uh, bad injury for the Jets. How much thinner can you get, right? Almost all of their safeties are somehow injured, either out or on the IR. And that's a problem. Kevin, I've got to give you a lot of credit because last week during our season preview, you shouted out two Jets during our Jets fantasy segment. You said you liked Amendola. Was it tongue-in-cheek? Perhaps, but we're all on the Amendola bandwagon now. Kev called it. And Corey Davis, who had a monster fantasy game with two touchdowns. You called that as well. Is this where, Are you going to edit in like fake applause or something for me? Thank you. Thank you. I could uh, give you some real applause. <laughs> yeah, the, the Davis, both touchdowns, particularly like you said, the the running when uh, Wilson on the run, hitting him in the corner, that, that was great. Um, I like having Davis on this team, and I think that uh, it seems like Wilson, it seems like of the wide receivers, it seems like Wilson is the most comfortable with him, at least so far. Absolutely. Were you surprised that Braxton Berrios was second on the team in catches? I should say second on the team in yards. He actually had the same number of catches, five, as Corey Davis. Was I surprised? Um, I don't know. I, 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 You and I are both big Mims uh, defenders, I think, um, and so we're always looking for more Mims out there. But um, we're still early on in seeing the, the offensive game plan and uh, just the people that Wilson likes to go to. And uh, so maybe Berrios and Davis are just his two top targets right now. And like I said, I, I was... We spent, I'll, I'll say something I was maybe wrong about in the first episode is that I was uh, saying how bad I thought the tight end core was going to be. And uh, like I said, I actually thought a pretty above average game for Jets tight ends in this. I want to say there was a point in the first quarter where he had only thrown one pass to a wide receiver. Croft and Griffin had about even splits. Croft was three for 26. Ryan Griffin, three for 22. So I like how the Jets kind of split those two. Maybe one of them emerges as a tight end one down the road. We'll see. But let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little defense. One thing I did notice about the Jets secondary is Javelin Gidry. I mean, Gidry was absolutely all over the place in this game. He only went two tackles and one assisted tackle in the stat sheet. But I actually thought Gidry was everywhere, and that's another apology I've got to make to Kevin, because when we were talking starting corners, I think you actually brought up Gidry, and I laughed at you and said, that's not a real name, right? I was like, Ron Gidry? That dude doesn't play football. And I was I was incorrect. I missed Javelin Gidry on the roster. I think he was great in this game. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I thought he played really well, and he seems like a guy who could have a potentially high ceiling in the league. But, you know, maybe a tiny bit of an overreaction for one game against the Carolina Panthers. But um, I liked what I saw from him. And, yeah, and I think he's better than Ron Guidry at this because Ron Guidry's, like, in his 70s. So Yeah, overreacting week to week. It's what we do here. I think the defense, uh, I don't think they did as poorly as I expected them to do, actually. Um, I feel like okay. they did a better I don't know how much that had to do with Sam Darnold's performance uh because as we said I don't think it was 
you never felt like Sam Darnold was winning the game. It, it was more their receiver core and uh, tight end. But I, I, I kind of feel like I, I feel like the defense did better than I expected, and my bar was very low, very low for them. Yeah, I thought particularly in the second half they they really stepped up, and it felt like you started to see shades of the Sam Darnold that we've known so well that just. Um, Make rushing into bad decisions and uh, just being—they were able to get pretty, pretty decent pressure on him. I thought, particularly in the second half, considering how low we set the bar for our season preview episode, I guess there was almost nowhere else to go but but up in some ways. But uh, I thought that as the game went on, that they definitely were improving. Early on, it looked like—I I thought it looked—they looked pretty bad. But but as the game was moving forward, I thought that they were able to uh, to put some pressure on him and get some stops. Yeah, it's almost like how much of Robert Sala improved that defense. Like, I wonder how much control he's having over it, having over them. Did he take any control in the second half to improve them at all? Absolutely. And Kev, I think you hit on it. Nowhere to go but up for this defense. And hopefully we get some of those injured guys, you know, the Ashton Davises of the world back pretty soon. Let's take another break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about next week and give you a preview of the New England Patriots at the Jets, their first home game. Kev, I don't know, did you watch any of that New England-Miami game? I had the Red Zone channel on for the 4 o'clock game, so it doesn't, ex- you know, you're kind of watching all of them, but not watching not watching one specific game. And actually, it struck me halfway through, I was like, oh, I sh- we're probably going to bring this up on the podcast, I should be watching that game separately. But yeah, I mean, I saw, I, 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 was, I saw all the highlights and stuff. I mean, it looked like the Patriots in this game took a bunch of bad penalties, but overall, they didn't look like world beaters out there. Mac Jones looked good, not great. The defense looked good, not great against, you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Uh, listen, I think this is a winnable game for New York based on the way the offense at least played against Carolina. Uh, the issue here is that if you can't survive Carolina's pass rush, they might be hard-pressed to survive New England's pass rush. That scares me. But I think Mike LaFleur comes into week two a little bit more prepared. We might see a few more screens, a few more quick hitters to kind of get that ball in and out of Zach Wilson's hand. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely right. I think I agree with you specifically about the offense for the Patriots. I thought, like you said, good, not great. And it seemed like kind of a strange game. There was penalties. There was a big call. I remember there was a roughing the passer. There, there was, there was, it was one of those games where a couple of calls really, like, really hinged, you know, Patriots probably could have won that game, um, a couple of times. And, uh, actually, like, Belichick seemed like he called all his timeouts before the two minute warning. There was like a lot of strange, um, a lot of strange stuff going on in there. Um, but I'm less optimistic than you in terms of winning this game. But I think if they're somehow able, like you say, to get the ball out of Wilson's hands fast enough, I think that if he can dial down some uh, like big plays to Davis, or even if you're getting the ball out of his hands quick. Ch- ch- uh, trying to get some of the tight ends involved again. Um, I don't think the run game is going to do it, like we said. So it's going to be quick passes, getting him out of the you know shotgun, trying to spread people out. Um, obviously, playing a Bill Belichick coach team is never uh, an easy feat, but I'm, I'm, I'm at least curious. I think um, in terms of uh, how many years we've been seeing these Patriots games on the schedule and just rolling our eyes like, oh, here we go, you know, ready, just ready to get our ass whooped. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm more optimistic than that. I still think this is probably, probably going to be a loss for the Jets, but um, I'm at least uh, hopeful that uh, 
something like the Miami game can happen. Weird things happen. Uh, a couple big plays late. Wilson can clearly sling it um, if it comes down to a end of the game situation. So cautiously optimistic for the for the Patriots week two, but I'm not uh, I'm not going to bet my bet my uh, house on uh, house on the Jets beating beating a Bill Belichick coach team just yet. Yeah, it's definitely not the same Patriots team it was under Tom Brady, right? You kind of feel like you have a chance against them now. I don't think the Jets can win. Uh, I just don't think that they have the talent on that team compared to the Patriots. I think this game is winnable in the sense that I don't think the Patriots are a playoff team, in my opinion. I don't think they're as good as some of the prognosticators have given them credit for. So in that sense, I think it's winnable. Will the Jets win? Likely not. It's something I wouldn't bet on, especially if the line is only three. The one thing that scares me in this game, more than anything else, I think this game could be the Damian Harris coming out party. We saw Damian Harris against a good Dolphins defense rush for 100 yards on 23 carries. That's a workload you do not see normally of a Bill Belichick running back. He usually has those running backs by committee, right? He gave 23 carries to Damian Harris, only four for James White. So I think we could see a ton of Damian Harris after Christian McCaffrey just ran for 9.9 yards per carry against this Jets run defense. Watch out for Damian Harris. And if you've got him in fantasy, make sure he is not on your bench this week. Yeah, that uh, that unfortunately seems like a pretty likely scenario. Like you said, I mean, I, I'm still not super high up on on, uh, on Mac Jones or their offense overall or their wide receiver core particularly. But the Jets secondary, as we've touched on many times now, can could probably get pretty beat up by a relatively mediocre receiving core. Yeah, I, I would say win a bowl in, win a bowl game in the sense that it's a strange game or just uh, the game plan from the Jets comes out and th- somehow throws off the Patriots early on and they put points up early or something like that. There's a path to it, but if they're going to, yeah, if they're going to be getting Harris involved early, it's going to be a long road for the Jets, I think. And and listen, if there's one thing we know about Michael McCorkle Jones, it's that he's <laughs> not active back there in the pocket, right? He's not going to Russell Wilson you roll out and hit somebody on the run. I think you can cramp Mac Jones. You could get at his feet maybe a Quinn and Williams up the middle, Shaq Lawson off the edge. I think there's some things you could do creatively with maybe some zone blitz schemes a la, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I think there's ways to get after Mac Jones and make him uncomfortable at least. Like I said, the people who scare me in this game, it's Damian Harris and it's those two tight ends. It's Jonu Smith and it's Hunter Henry. I think if Mac Jones is getting rid of the ball quickly to those two guys, the Jets might be in for a long day. We should only refer to him as McCorkle on this podcast. I think that's appropriate. It is the man's name. Michael McCorkle Jones. I'm not making that up. <laughs> what a weird NFL, huh? Well, that's going to wrap things up for us. Make sure you check out Just End the Show next week as we recap the New York Jets and the New England Patriots in week two. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Just End the Show. If you like Jets injury updates and really dumb Jets memes, that's what we specialize in. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the games, everybody. Kevin, take us out. Just